This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Emerest, CPA with Parmelis and Associates. So whether you're investing in real estate, the stock market, or an auto repair shop, return on investment, otherwise known as ROI, is a term that you've probably heard but maybe never truly understood and the applications that you can use it for. So that's exactly what we're going to be talking about this week. Before we get into that, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. Don't just imagine how much more profit you can make on every part. Tap into the Parts Gross Profit Optimizer and watch your profits grow. Better yet, its algorithm does the work so your brain doesn't have to. GetShopware.com At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care Endorsed Program, their unique done-for-you marketing platform takes the guesswork out of the equation. Please visit them at RepairShopOfTomorrow.com. What is ROI and how do we calculate it or where do we use this? And so to kind of illustrate what ROI is and why it's so important, I want to have kind of a couple examples here. Let's say that I approach you with an investment opportunity, right? Because a lot of times ROI is used for investment, whether it's your own investment, capital investment or whatever. Let's say that I approach you and I say, all right, I have an investment opportunity for you. It's going to be worth $100,000. That's going to be the expected net value of this investment. Are you interested? Now, if I said that to you, you might say off the bat, oh, yeah, I'm interested or no, I'm not really interested. But any decision that you would make there would really just be a guess because we don't know enough details in order to be say yes or no. We don't even have enough details to calculate return on investment. If you look at the name as it entails, return on investment, we have to figure out what our initial investment is to figure out what the return is. And what I mean by that is this. Let's say that I, instead of approaching you and say, hey, you're going to have to invest $80,000, but then $100,000 is going to be the ultimate value. So if you look at that, I invest 80,000 and I get an additional 20,000, so now my investment is worth 100 grand. Sounds pretty good, right? Now let's look at the other example on this. Let's say that again, the ultimate value is still 100,000, but this option I have to invest 99,000 in order to make 100,000. So I invest 99,000, I'm going to get an extra $1,000 of return and it's going to be worth 100k. Now, in this situation, which one of those two investments would you pick? Probably option one, right? Because option one gives us a 25% return on investment, while option two only gets us about a 1% return on investment. So if you look at just that example right there, it's pretty clear we're going to go with option number one. I want my money to work for me. Why would I pick something that gives me a 1% return when I can pick something that's going to give me a 25% return? It's a no-brainer. But again, this one in a nutshell, you could you know look and say, hey, of these two, I would pick this one on it. But again, we don't have enough information because not only do you have to factor in return on investment, you have to know how long this is going to take to get that return. And so let's go to that 80,000 example. 80,000, it's ultimately going to be worth 100,000. Let's kind of unpack that a little bit and illustrate how much time actually makes a difference on this as well. So we've already kind of agreed upon that this is a good investment. People are interested in this. And let's assume that it's all over the course of one year. So we're going to invest 80,000. It's going to be worth 100,000. It's going to be a 25% return on investment and also a 25% annual return on investment because we only have it for a year. So I'd give them 80,000 on January 1st, 
They give me back 100000 on December 31st. I'm happy. There's going to be some more things we're going to learn about this episode that you probably would ask too. But all in all, looks like a really good use of our funds, really good use or a really good opportunity to invest in. So let's use the same exact example, but change the time on this. So again, still have that $80,000 investment, still ultimately going to be worth $100,000. But instead of me putting the money in January 1st, and 12 months later, it's now worth $100,000. In this example, I'm going to say, I'm going to give them $80,000, and they're going to give me back $100,000, but not for 10 years. So the first one was one year. This one is 10 years. So if you look at this, it still has a 25% return on investment, right? We got 80,000 in, getting 100,000 back, an extra 20 grand is what we're making. However, we have an annual return on investment or ROI of 2.5% because it's only going to go up 2.5% every single year. So yes, after 10 years, I'm going to have made $20,000, but I'm no longer as interested in this opportunity, am I? Hey, the ROI is good, but my annual ROI or the amount of time it takes for me to make back my money is just too long of a horizon. Depending on what this opportunity is, it still could be a good investment. But if those deals were done side by side, you're always going to pick the deal that's sooner. You know, this is an illustration of the time value of money. Would you rather have 80 cents today or would you rather have a dollar in three years? Obviously, give me the 80 cents today. It's going to be lower, but it's worth more money if I have it. The longer and longer you stretch it out, the less valuable that is for me. That's exactly what this is looking at, right? Hey, both of these are still 25% return on investment. One of them's going to pay me in one year. The other one's going to take 10 years for me to realize that same return. And so this is the whole idea of return on investment. How much money do you have to put in there? How much are you going to get back? And how long is this going to take? It seems kind of arbitrary, right, to have a return on investment. What makes something a 20% return on investment? What makes someone a 100% return on investment? Or what makes something a 1% return on investment versus a 1,000% return on investment? There's a lot of different factors that go into this, right? I'm not going to oversimplify this and say that these are really the only two um, that have anything to do with it. But it's really the major ones we're going to talk about today are going to be risk and time. We've already talked about time a little bit on it, but it's a little bit different way of looking at time. Not as far as time elapsed, more has to do with time and effort. So risk and time and effort are going to be the major drivers of ROI and how you calculate it and what that ROI will be. So let's start a little bit with risk and kind of illustrate how risk makes return on investment or how risk affects return on investment and rates and stuff like that. So first example here, I have something like crypto. Cryptocurrency, whether it's Bitcoin, you use altcoins or whatever, you've probably seen about in the news, maybe you have friends that talk about it, but crypto can have extremely, extremely high return on investment. It's not uncommon to see something that has a 100% ROI in 24 hours, right? And if you doing the math on that, that means if you put in $5 today, it's worth $10 tomorrow. That's 100% ROI. That's doubling your money in 24 hours. It's crazy, crazy high. Now, but why? Why is that return on investment so high? Essentially, the higher the risk, the higher the return on investment has to be. It only makes sense. Hey, by assuming this, what is my upside and what is my downside? So for something like crypto, crypto is extremely volatile. And generally, the ROI is going to be extremely high as well. 
But the reason it is so high is because you could easily make 100% ROI in 24 hours, but also it's about just as likely that you could lose all of that in 24 hours as well. And so anytime that you have an investment that is very risky, meaning, hey, you could make money, but you could just as easily lose money, then the upside has to be rewarded. Hey, if I'm going to assume this downside risk of losing my money or losing a large majority of my money, then you better pay me a lot of money if things go right. Because if the upside is only 2% and the downside is negative 100%, no one's ever going to do that investment. Hey, the wins are just never enough to outweigh the downside. And that's exactly what we see here in crypto. Hey, very risky. You could lose it all, but you can make a ton of money there because you can get a huge ROI. Um, 100%, thousands percent. I mean, there's stories time and time again about people that had bought Bitcoin when it was $10 and now it's worth 60000 You know, do the ROI on that. Now, a great example is just right then, there's plenty of people that bought Bitcoin at 60000 and it went down to 20000 or 15000 or wherever it is right now. You know, so there's people in that market that have made thousands of percentage of return on investment. There's also a lot of people that have lost everything. You know, and this is why one of the, you know, the biggest risk factors on crypto is exactly that is you can invest in it, but it can't be a large part of your portfolio. And we've talked about this time and time again. Yes, you can stand to make a lot, but there is so much risk there that you could easily lose all of it. Now, if crypto only made up of 5% of your portfolio, you're mitigating that risk. You're spreading it around while still being in the market to be able to, you know, get some of that upside but not relying all of your cash and all of your reserves on something that has that big of a downside. Crypto is probably, you know, if we're talking about, I guess, quote unquote, conventional investments, probably the biggest, you know, or most extreme and highest ROI here. But if we go down to probably the most common one where people think about ROI, that would be something like the stock market. So stock market last year, bad example, because last year was pretty bad. But over the long run, you know, say last 50 years or so, Average annual return on investment for the stock market, S&P 500, has been around 10%, right? So you put in $100, 10% ROI would mean it's worth 110 at the end of the year. That 100 made you $10, 10% return on investment. So again, it's still a pretty high return on investment because there's risk there. No one is going to put money into the stock market and think, well, there's only one direction this can go. It can only go up. No, just like anything else, you're going to have highs, you're going to have lows. And specifically, just like crypto as well, depending on what investments you pick is going to dictate how much that return is. And again, more specifically, we're using a broader topic of, you know, the S&P 500 as a whole and all the stocks made up on it. This is also why specific stocks have higher return on investment versus other ones, right? If you have a very old, a very you know established business, the ROI on that stock is probably not super high, but maybe it makes about 4 or 5% like clockwork every single year. Not a whole lot of downside, not a ton of upside, but a very kind of safe investment with not a whole lot of variability. Versus you got something the complete opposite, right? And let's say maybe even pre-market, something like a startup or an IPO. Those have much, much higher returns on investment, but they're also early stage businesses just as likely as that stock could go up, it could go down, go to zero, completely crumble. So again, all of this ROI is built into it. And for the most part, the market kind of sets this. If people want to do it, if people think it's a good investment, the ROI is going to go down because they don't have to kind of entice people to come invest money. 
However, the riskier it is or the more leery people are with this investment, the higher that ROI has to be to be able to make up for that risk. Hey, I am willing to do this, but you're going to have to give me a pretty high percentage so that I feel comfortable with the risk that I'm assuming. When you started in this business, did you really think that cars would be driving themselves and that people would be buying cars online without test driving them? I don't think any of us did. Yet that's exactly what is going on. On the repair side, the auto industry is changing fast. Customers expect quick answers and proof that they need the repairs that you recommend. They want to pay you while buying a coffee, then rate you on Yelp after picking up their keys. So why stay in the past? A shop owner named Carolyn asked herself the same question, so she created an online shop management system that automates the stuff you do over and over again. She and her team added texting in every step in the process from booking your appointment to posting that stellar review. They learn from their customers just like you learn from yours, and it's the system that's leading the industry into a bright future. Find out more about this and other things at GetShopware.com. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care endorsed coaching and marketing program, Their unique industry-proven marketing platform takes the guesswork out of the equation. Instead of taking a shotgun approach, Repair Shop of Tomorrow uses predictive marketing that focuses on bringing the right cars into your shop. They utilize social media, email marketing, direct mail, personalized newsletters, and Napa value-added programs to create quality car count for their clients. This same branded message, same branded content marketing approach is bringing in the right customers and bringing them in more often, which is helping their clients add more net profit to the bottom line. If your current marketing strategy isn't yielding the results you would like, please reach out to Repair Shop tomorrow to get your marketing efforts dialed in. For more information about their program, please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. Now on crypto, if we have crypto on one end of the extreme, A savings account is probably the other end of the extreme. A savings account is basically risk-free. It's federally insured. The government backs this stuff. If you have $100,000 in a Wells Fargo, even if Wells Fargo goes under, the federal government is going to guarantee that or insure this stuff so that you don't lose any money. So there is no downside to a savings account. I guess there is, but the percentage chance of that is extremely, extremely, extremely low or arguably 0%, which is a lot of people call this a risk-free investment. Now, the upside is also not that big either, right? Savings account, even today with interest as high as they are, are maxing out around 2%. But if we look at here, it kind of makes sense what we're talking about. Hey, this is something where they are guaranteeing that you're going to get paid 2% this year. Not a penny high, not a penny low. You are going to make 2% for doing absolutely nothing with no downside risk. And that's why savings accounts are popular for a lot of people, right? And a lot of times used as part of an investment strategy. Um, And this is a great example of what a portfolio could look like. You're going to have stuff like savings accounts or bonds that are going to be lower return on investment, but also not as risky, a lot more kind of guaranteed and a lot more steady. And then in that portfolio, you mix kind of medium risk stuff, which would be stock and investments and stuff like that. And then maybe you have some higher risk things in there, crypto or more speculatory investments as well. Kind of mixing around so you have different exposure levels and also different desired rates of return. But at the end of the day, ROI has to match the risk level of the investment. So if you have a risky investment 
It better have a good ROI or else people will not be interested in it. Hey, I want you to come help me. I'm going to start a business up. I'm looking for investors and I'm going to pay you guys 1% a year for this investment. People are going to look at this and say, Hunt, why would I risk losing everything to invest in this new business for 1% where I can take this and put this into a savings account and make twice as much money on this? No way. Now, generally, when you have you know private equity money and stuff like this, it would instead be 10 or maybe even 15%. Hey, I'm investing in this business. I'm starting this up. I'm looking for outside investors. Yes, it is risky, but I'm going to be paying 15% interest. You're going to have a lot more people interested in that one because they're going to say, hey, this is risky. I know there's a downside and maybe even a big downside here, but 15% return on investment is something that I can't walk away from. There's nowhere else that kind of compares the risk that I deem in this investment versus the return on investment. So if you're looking at two different opportunities and you say, hey, both of these have about the same amount of risk, it's a very easy decision. They both have the same risk. You pick which one has a higher return on investment. Now, if both investment opportunities have the same return on investment, you would then have to analyze the risk. Just like we talked about before with this, you know, investing in a business. Hey, this is going to pay me 1%. It is really risky. I'm going to pick the savings account that pays me 2% is not risky whatsoever. But if you were looking at this and saying, hey, this investment's paying 10%, this investment's paying 10%, which one do I pick? I'm going to pick the less risky of the two. Hey, they're both going to pay me 10%. So why would I pick the one that has you know a higher percentage chance of actually giving me that return on investment versus losing my money or coming in at a lower rate? A prime example of this is what we currently see in our market right now. Last year, like I was alluding to before, the market was down about 20% for the year. Pretty big swing, not as big as what a lot of people are expecting on it, but obviously negative return on investment. So market has not been as good, and also interest rates have been going up. You know, conventional savings account is still around 2%, but there's other pretty risk-free investments out there that are getting up in percentage points. So bonds, you know, treasury bills and CD accounts right around 5%. Now, you're locking that money in for a year at 5%, but it's a risk-free investment. And so that's why we see a lot of people pulling money out of the stock market because they say, hey, not only is this risky, it's actually been losing money and I could lose even more. Why would I risk that when the upside is still not massive? Yes, it's big over the long run, but if I'm looking for the next 12 months where I see a lot of volatility in the market, you know what? I'm going to minimize my downside. I'm going to pull money out of the market and I'm going to stick it in a CD. I'm going to stick it in a 12-month treasury bill that's giving me 5%. Because yes, I can only make 5%, but I'm not going to lose anything at all, really. Not even you're not going to lose anything. You're guaranteed to make money for the next 12 months. Return on investment in the stock market has been falling. And you know, even in this case, 2022 was negative. So people are saying, hey, this is risky here. Why would I be still in this one when there's other opportunities out there that are paying a higher ROI at a lower risk? Exactly what we're seeing right now of people shifting their investments and making decisions with their wallet, which is obviously affecting the rest of the market and stuff like that. So obviously, risk has a major factor in calculating or figuring out what a reasonable ROI rate would be. But also we need to take in consideration time or your personal involvement in the investment as well. 
So how much energy, effort, or expertise do you need to combine with your money? And in short, you're really looking at two extremes here. Is this an active investment or is this a passive investment? So on the surface, very simple. Active means that you actively need to do something with this investment. Your time, or if you want to pay someone else to do it, someone else has to be involved in this. On the exact opposite, you have what's called passive investments. Passive investments are pretty much everything that we've been talking about before. Stocks, bonds, treasury bills, savings accounts, stuff like that. It's not active. You put money into the bank account or you put money into the CD, you don't have to do anything. They're going to pay you 5%. Not like you need to call them up. Not like you need to shuffle papers or clean up. It's just going to happen when you sleep, when you're awake, without any of your involvement. Now, the active side is a little bit trickier. And we're going to go down through a couple different things. So active involvement in an investment, a great example of that would be just you, right? Thinking about when you started your shop. So starting a business, any small business, but I'm going to talk specifically about shops. So shops are a great example, an automotive repair shop specifically, of a good return on investment, ROI. So average return on investment for shops is around 33% pretty good, but it's not easy. And so not only is there a risk factor associated with running the shop, there's also active participation. You are not going to get a 33% return on investment by just putting a hundred grand out on a shop and walking away and coming back and checking what's what's going on. It's not going to work unless either you're working in the business or you're managing a team that is running a business for you. Think about in a very, very, you know, basic shop, you know, one man show. And this is a drastic oversimplification of this industry and where it's at. But think about if you wanted to, let's just say, do the brakes on someone, right? Let's say you wanted to start up a business and you're only going to do brake jobs. If you really wanted to, you could probably have $100 in tools to be able to do brakes on almost all cars out there, right? A very basic socket set you know, and a couple other tools to be able to do this, but not a whole lot. Now, it's not going to be able to do exotics, but it'll be able to do most things on the road. So let's look at that from an ROI standpoint. So you go out and you spend $100 and you get a very basic, pretty crappy set of tools, but it allows you to do breaks. So then you go out and let's just say we're ignoring buying the parts on it. So I just spent $100 and my neighbor comes up and says, Hunt, I'll give you 200 bucks if you do the brakes on my car. I say, yeah, no problem. I'll do that. Bring it over, put it up on the lift, change the brakes, happy with it, gives me my $200. How much return on investment did I make there? So I made a 200% return on investment there, right? Because I had to invest $100 in the tools, but then I got $200 back for doing that brake job. And not only was that a 200% ROI, that's a 200% ROI in a day, right? Bought the tools in the morning, did the breaks in the middle of the day, got paid in the afternoon, and it's all said and done. Now, was it easy or was I, you know, was this a passive investment? No, not at all. This is about as active as it can get. I had to not only buy the tools, but I also had to have the knowledge, expertise, and time to be able to know how and fix this car and replace the brakes on it. And so the reason I bring this up about a shop is at a very small level, this is essentially what any one shop is. You know, instead of investing $100, maybe that's a million dollars, but the idea is still the same. 
So for a business like an auto repair business, the ROI is actually very high because, you know, while stuff like alignment machines, lifts, tire machines, air compressors are not cheap, they're relatively pretty inexpensive when you compare to how much revenue that they can generate. And that 33% return on investment is also what we see when you sell a shop, right? You've probably talked about me saying, hey, a shop is worth about three times net income of what it makes in a year, three to one. Now, if you look at it the other way, where the 33% return on investment comes in is every year you're going to get a 33% return on investment. So after three years, you will make your money back, right? So if someone's selling it, they're saying, hey, I essentially get three times how much I make in a year. The person buying it is going to look at from the exact opposite of this is going to take me three years to make back my money. So that was an example of a shop, right? And that's, you know, the way that you kind of explain this to someone that's starting a business. Now, it's also the same idea if you're working for someone else, return on investment, because a lot of this is not necessarily return on investment as far as capital. It's also a return on investment for your time or energy or expertise. And a good way to illustrate this is how much you would have to pay someone to do something. So how much would someone have to pay you to spend an hour watching TV, right? Depending on the time of the day it is and what else you have going on, probably wouldn't have to pay you too much. Hey, you're sitting here on a Sunday watching the NFL playoffs. What if I gave you a dollar to watch TV? That's fine. I was going to watch it anyways, but I'd happily take the dollar. Now, how about let's say, hey, you know what? You know, the bills are playing right now. You know, you could keep on watching TV or I could have you go pick up some trash for an hour. How much would I have to pay you to do that? I guarantee that's a lot more than $1 because people don't want to do it. ROI can be used to specifically for time. The more people want to do it, the less you have to pay people to do it. Or in the extreme example, you can actually charge. Paying people to do services is again a return on investment, and so is charging people to do services for them. Because when I'm paying someone to do work for me, I'm saying, hey, that's not a high enough return on investment for my time, but by you doing that job, it is a high enough return on investment for your time. So you know what? I'm going to let you do that. Now, if someone has something that is really attractive to me, I might even say, you know what? I'm going to pay you in order to do that exercise, in order to do that activity I actually want to do it so much, you don't even have to pay me. I'm going to pay you to do that. And so let's use an example of like Disney World. How much would I have to pay you to come and ride roller coasters all day at Disney World? You don't have to pay someone anything. And people are actually paying hundreds and thousands of dollars to come and do that. It's not a job. It's something that I want to do. I want to go there. I want to ride rides. I want to take my family and I'm willing to pay for it. Now, the exact opposite is someone that's working at Disney World. That person that is running the rides or taking tickets at the front gate, they don't really want to do it that much. And so they're not going to pay Disney World to come work a uh, roller coaster. Disney World has to pay them to do this. And this is a direct parallel again to your business, to your auto repair shop. Let's take a look at, you know, kind of two different shops here. One of them provides a great work culture, right? Good attitudes, good people, good support, good management. Uh, they provide benefits to the team in the form of insurance tools and making sure they have you know all the proper equipment. So this is shop number one. Shop number two, they have no heat, they have no AC in the shop, bad culture, bad management, maybe not the proper tools and aging equipment. So think about both of these shops side by side. You could get someone to work at either, right? Both of these shops could attract people, 
But if you were paying the same amount for a you know prospective technician, if you're that technician, would you go to shop one or shop two? If the money is the same, you're going to obviously go to shop one. Hey, my return on investment is going to be exactly the same at both of these. I'd rather go to shop number one because it's going to be more enjoyable and I'm going to get a lot more benefit out of that than I am on shop number two. Now, is does that mean that no one is going to come work for shop number two? They will, but again, you have to make it worth their time. You know, going back to return on investment. If someone's willing to work at shop number one for $30, they're not going to pick nut shop number two for $30 as well. Why would they go to a worse shop with you know bad equipment and bad environment for the same amount of money? However, if you came back and said, hey, you know what? Shop number one is offering $30 an hour. My shop, shop number two, kind of crappy, kind of a bad place to work, but I'm paying $80 an hour. I'm going to attract a lot of people even with everything else that I have going on. So even though the crap is kind of, you know, the shop is kind of crappy and there's no heat and bad tools and the lift barely works, I'm getting paid 80 bucks an hour. I will look past all that stuff. It's good enough ROI for me to kind of offset those other things. And so this is what I would want you to think about, right? Is how much is this costing you for your business? Not being able to find technicians or having to pay a ton of money on technicians really kind of not only showing you a sign of what the labor market is, but also specifically for your shop. Can you provide even non-financial benefits or the culture, the proper culture to attract talent where, yes, money's always going to be a deciding factor, but you have all these other intangibles that people are going to pick you and maybe even pick you for lower money because they want to come work for you that much. You know, and maybe even in a very, very, very extreme example, you make this shop so attractive to technicians that not only do they want to come work for you, they want to come work for you for cheaper than anywhere else because everything else that you provide, right? The support, the culture, the, you know, ability to advance their skills, advance their career and advance their earnings is just unparalleled to any of the other shops. So people are willing to do this for a lower amount because of all those other things. On the flip side, though, if you have that bad shop, if you have that bad culture, if you have that old equipment, how much is it costing you just in an hourly or flat rate amount to just be able to keep your technicians or try to attract new talent? So that was all talking about active involvement, right? Obviously, active involvement in something is always going to be having higher return on investment because it's work, right? You have to do something for it. Now, passive investment is always going to be a lower, generally going to be a lower return on investment. And passive investments is what everyone's looking for, right? I want to make money when I sleep or I want to make money without having to work for it. So passive investments would be stuff like savings accounts, CDs, stocks, right? I don't actually have to do anything other than my money. Just like risk, involvement in time invested is a huge driver of return on investment. If I have to do work, I better be getting compensated for it. If I have to do a lot of work, I better be getting compensated a lot for this. Now, on the flip side of it is, hey, if I don't really have to do that much, then you don't really have to pay me that much or give me that much of return on investment because it's so easy. And this goes back to the episode I did a couple weeks ago about how much is your time worth? Would you rather make 20% net and work 60 hours a week in your shop? Or would you be willing to take a 10% net and never set foot in a shop again. ROI only makes sense when time is taken into consideration. Well, hey, Hunt, how does this apply to my business and how do you utilize ROI when making decisions 
Here's a handful of different ways that I use this. Advertising. Advertising is a great one because the question that always comes up is, Hunt, how much should I be spending a month or what percentage of my sales should I be spending on advertising? And what I always tell people is there's industry norms, there's percentages, there's commonalities here, but I don't really budget advertising from a spend. I want to analyze advertising from a return on investment standpoint. Hey, how far is this money going for me? How much return on investment am I getting out of whatever I'm spending on advertising? Let's use an example of you're spending $2,000 a month on advertising, right? And this is kind of whether it's 2000 or 10000 or 2% or 10%, this is a really common example. Hey, Han, I'm spending about $2,000 a month on advertising. Do you think that's too much or too little? Should I do more? Should I reduce it? Where do you think I should go from here? What I would say to them is, how much value are you getting out of this? And they say, well, what do you mean by that? I'm like, value, right? How much money is that $2,000 making me? So let's use a couple of different examples, right? So you're spending $2,000 a month on advertising. And let's say that between the new cars and existing cars that it got it to come through your shop, it made you back $2,000 in gross profit on work from this advertising campaign. That equates to a 0% return on investment. I paid $2,000 and it gave me back $2,000 in gross profit. It didn't cost me any money, but I also didn't make any money on it. So in that situation, it would have been the same net effect to do no advertising, right? Because if I did no advertising, I would have had no change. I spent $2,000 on advertising and it gave me back $2,000 in gross profit. So ultimately still gave me no money additionally back. Now let's use in another example. Hey, you spent $2,000 on advertising. How much did you get back? Uh, Made me about $3,000 in gross profit. That's awesome. That's 50% return on investment. You gave them two grand. They gave you three grand back in work. Not only would I say, hey, that's a great use our advertising money. I would say, if you have the capacity, if you have the production to be able to do this, let's give them another 2000 Let's give them 5000 Let's give them 10000 Because if I can get 50% return on investment on advertising and I have the capacity to do so, there's really no limit to how much I'm willing to spend. Now, realistically, what you see is you know, the law of diminishing returns. Meaning, yes, if you spend $2,000 and you get 50% return on investment, you might be able to spend $4,000 and still get a 50% return on investment. But if you add a zero to that and you say, all right, well, what if I spend $40,000? You're probably not going to get a 50% return on investment. The more and more you put in there, it's going to get lesser and lesser returns. And now the sweet spot is when that ROI gets below you know, your desired level. Hey, you know what? I spent 2,000, I got 50%. I spent 5,000, I got 30%. I spent 10,000, I got 15% return on investment. Right? And you can kind of see I'm a terrible podcast, but I'm making a motion with my hand of kind of a curve here, and at some point that levels out, right? At some point you've reached that terminal level of hey, 10,000, 10, 11,000 dollars. I'm still getting return on investment, but at that point it's coming down to a level where I probably don't want to drop below that. I've probably met the ceiling of how much I want to spend. Now, let's go the exact opposite direction on this. Hey, you're spending $2,000 a month on advertising, and it's driving you $1,000 in gross profit. So that's actually losing money. I gave them $2,000, I got back $1,000. So in a situation like that, it makes it a pretty easy decision. You know, obviously, I'm going to have a discussion with this person doing this advertising and this vendor to kind of share my you know, math on this and how I'm making a judgment on their performance. But I'm going to say, hey, 
I don't care if, you know, 2000, I'm okay with spending on that. But right now it's losing money. I'm getting a negative return on investment. So unless this doesn't change here in the next month or two, or if we can pivot it to another opportunity, I'm just going to have to stop this altogether because this return on investment just doesn't make sense to me. And you can see it just takes the emotion out of this decision. All right. How much money am I giving you? How much money am I getting back? Very, very simple. Another way and another time I use this a lot for shops is, you know, buying a piece of equipment. So whether that's buying that new AC machine or buying a new time machine or buying a new alignment rack, what is the return on investment going to be? And what I mean by that is this. And so alignment rack, and for this one, I'm going to use a monthly payment example versus the overall cost because most people are financing these. So let's say that I go out and I spend, you know, whatever, $60,000 on alignment rack which in today's market is probably pretty darn cheap. I spend $60,000 on alignment rack and I pay them $1,000 a month for the next five years. So it's costing me $1,000 a month. Again, if I look at this and strictly return on investment standpoint, I need to figure out how I get $1,000 or more back a month from this alignment machine. So let's say that I make $100 per alignment. So that means I would need to sell 10 alignments in a month in order for it to pay for itself or have a 0% return on investment. No one invests to make zero money back. That makes no sense. So now you have a floor and you look at this and you say, you know what? I know I can sell 10 alignments. You know what? I can actually sell 15 alignments a month. If I sell 15 alignments a month and I only need to sell 10, I'm going to make about 50% return on investment. Because I'm going to be spending $1,000 a month on the alignment rack, but this alignment rack is going to create me $1,500 in profit. It's going to pay for itself, right? And you've probably heard that phrase, hey, just buy it. It pays for itself. And pays for itself is a literal translation of return on investment. You're putting this money in, but it's making back that money and more. It's a no-brainer because it doesn't actually cost you any money. Right? If you have that alignment rack, it doesn't actually cost you $1,000 a month because, yes, you're paying $1,000, but you're making $1,500. So instead of having the mindset of, oh, that alignment machine costs me $1,000 a month, that alignment machine makes me $500 a month. Great investment. And if you have the demand and if you have the space to do so, that's why so many people do alignments because it's another profit center. Right, It's another way to make money. So let's use this in you know, an even more kind of complicated example. And we talked about this a little bit before, but buying a business, right? Buying a shop, whether this is your first shop or you want to buy another location, return on investment is the easiest way to unpack this. And here's how it usually goes when I look at this, or let's say that a shop um, says, hey, hon, I want you to take a look at these financials. So really on the surface, when I'm looking at this, I'm looking for two major things. How much do they want for the business? How much money does the business make? First example here is, let's just say I got a shop and they call me up and they say, hey, Hunt, I'm looking at buying this business. They want about $600,000 for it. Okay, could be high, could be low. Let's dig a little bit deeper. How much money is this business making in profit? How much money do you expect this business to make in profit for you? So they say it's making about $200,000 a year. We expect it to be about similar once we take over. So I look at this and I say, all right, the business is going to be $600,000. It's going to make us $200,000 every single year. So that's going to be about a 33% annual return on investment. And I'm going to make back all of my money or you're going to make back all of your money over the course of three years. 
So you give them 600,000 after three years, that business is going to have generated $600,000 worth of profit. It'll have paid for itself. To me, looks pretty attractive. I would say go for it. It's a pretty fair valuation, making back your money in three years, which means anything after year three, you've already made back your investment and that's truly just profit. Now let's use that same business, but a much lower profit. And I see this a ton. So that business, same client comes to me and says, hey, Hunt, person wants $600,000 for their business. I said, okay, how much profit is it making? Yeah, it's about $60,000 in profit, or hey, maybe after we do X, Y, and Z, or pay fair market value rent on this, it's gonna make about $60,000 in profit a year. I was excited about this business, and from a number standpoint, I'll tell you why. So right off the bat, my return on investment's not great. So this investment's gonna pay me about a 10% annual return on investment. Put 600,000 in, making me $60,000 in profit. So not only does the original return on investment not look very good, it's also going to make me about 10 years out from making my money back. I'm only going to get a 10% return on investment. I know it's risky. I'm buying a business. I'm buying a shop. I'm going to have to spend my time doing this, and I'm not going to be whole for 10 years. I'm not as excited about doing this deal. It's not only would I probably not buy that shop. I'll tell you why I wouldn't buy that shop, because I have other options. It's not like I'm only allowed to buy shops. I can invest in anything, right? I will invest in shops if the return on investment is correct. But if it's not correct, I will go to other sources. So for this example, we have a 10% return on investment. Why would I buy a business when I could put that money into the stock market? Over the long run, a return on investment or desired return on investment is around 10% for the stock market. There is zero effort for me putting that money into the S&P 500. I could put 600000 into a TD Ameritrade index fund here in about eight minutes, and I wouldn't have to do anything else for that to make money. Not going to be the same for a shop. Another thing of why the stock market in this situation is going to be so much more attractive for me is that there's compound interest. If I put $600,000 in there, first year it's going to be now up to 660,000, right? Because it's a 10% return on investment. Next year I'm actually going to make 66,000, right? Because it's compounding on itself. Every single year it gets higher and higher. It's still the same 10% increase, but the overall investment is going up and up and up. And so since the stock market also has compound interest on it, I'm going to make back my money in seven years, not 10. And so again, taking the emotion out of the decision, if you just look at the numbers on this of option one being buying a shop or any small business, option two, investing in the stock market, let's weigh the numbers. Take all of the details out of it, take all the emotions out of there and look at it from a numbers perspective, right? Both of them have a 10% return on investment. Perfect. All right. No tiebreakers there. We're going to move to the next one. One is active participation being the business. The other one is passive being the stock market. That's one tick for the stock market right there. One of them is going to have zero effort, zero planning behind it. The other one is going to have a ton of effort being the shop. Another vote for the stocks. And then lastly, on it, like we were talking about there, the stock is not only going to make me back my money quicker, it's also going to compound on itself. So I'm going to make my money back in seven years versus 10% for the shop. When you look at it from that standpoint, it's very, very easy decision to say, why would I ever buy this? Why would I ever risk this much for the same return where I could do somewhere else? 
Now, last example on here, and this is something that you might not have ever thought about, is return on investment is how I look at debt as well, too. Dave Ramsey will preach and say, no debt is good debt, right? You should be paying cash for everything, which is a huge oversimplification, right? If my only choice is super high interest rate loans or no loans, obviously I'm going to pick debt free in that, but it's really smart debt and not having too expensive of debt. And also, what is that debt leveraged against, right? Is that debt making me money? And is that debt making me money at a higher rate than it's costing me? So if you look at, you know, let's say if someone approaches me and say, hey, Hunt, I got $50,000 here. Do you think that it'd be smart for me to pay off my credit card? What interest rate is your credit card? 24%. You are going to get a guaranteed 24% return on investment if you pay down that credit card. That's incredible. Where else are you going to get a guaranteed 24% return on investment? Virtually nowhere. And so paying down credit card or any sort of high interest debt is always going to be the smartest financial decision. Think about how hard you would have to work in any other sort of investment to make back 24%, where if you paid off that credit card, you are going to automatically get 24% return on investment. A couple clicks of the button and you're done. It's a no-brainer. Now, on the exact opposite side of the spectrum, I have a client that calls me up and say, hey, Hunt, I'm thinking about paying off my mortgage, right? I owe about $50,000 on it and I could pay it off right now. So I say, all right, what is our mortgage at? Uh, mortgage is about 2.75% interest right now. And so I usually tell people this, hey, I get where you're coming from. And I can see the emotional standpoint of having a paid off house, getting rid of the mortgage and just not having one more payment to worry about, or just the overall idea of, hey, it's free and clear. I don't owe anyone anything. But from a return on investment standpoint, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why? Because yes, it is a guaranteed rate of return of 2.75%, but we could take that money, we could invest it elsewhere and leverage that money. So instead of you you know, paying that off, let's say that you went and put that money into the market. It's going to pay you an average 10% on an annual basis, and that note is costing you 2.75%. So even if you still kept that mortgage and invested that money instead of paying down your mortgage, you're making money at 10%, but you're paying out interest at you know just under 3%. You're ahead over 7% there and you have the cash. This is called leveraging money and specifically investing the stock market is also what they call margin. So if there's something where the return on investment is high enough, you can actually borrow money and invest it and it will still make enough return on investment to make the money and pay the debt. And when the interest rates are low, this is really popular because the market is good and the money is so cheap. However, when the rates go up and the return on investment for stocks doesn't increase as well, it becomes less attractive and that spread becomes smaller and smaller and sometimes not existent. And this is another factor that's kind of factoring our overall economy and specifically the stock market right now is when money was really cheap, people were borrowing money and investing in the stock market because the returns were good. And the interest rates were so cheap that there was a big spread between the return of investment and the cost of capital. But if return on investment isn't going up in the stocks and the cost of borrowing that money is just going higher and higher, people are less likely to borrow money because the ROI that they would have to get just to cover the debt just no longer makes sense. I hope this was enlightening to you and I encourage you to use this in the future when making investing, borrowing, or cash flow decisions. You ever feel like you're making an emotional opinion on something financial? You probably are. 
But if instead you take the emotion out of it and you look at the ROI and the time and the involvement, a lot of times it makes the proper direction or decision explicitly clear. As always, please share with friends. And if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please shoot me an email at podcast at parmelis.com. Just want to say thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on the aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listening apps. So thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there, and I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.